Mark 11, verse 11, this is how the NLT records it. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Lord, I thank you for the scripture. I thank you um, for this day. I thank you for the scripture. God, I pray in these next few moments, as we look at the scripture, God, that we would see uh, more clearly, God, that you would speak to our hearts today, God, that you would change us, Lord, by the power of your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit this day. God, do a work in us this morning as we look at your life, your words, and your actions. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the next four Sundays, we're going to be talking about the Passion Week, the, the, the final week of Jesus, the week of his passion. What he did during the last week before um, the Good Friday, his, his death, burial, and resurrection. We're going to look at that final week. And, and this was his final week, and, and I, believe, I believe Jesus was intentional in everything that he said and in everything that he did, but I believe especially in his final week, he was very intentional because he knew that the time was coming to an end. He knew that his time of physical ministry on earth was coming to an end. Yes, I believe that he still is with us, with us more than he was even back then, but his, physical, his, his life on earth as a physical embodied human was coming to an end. And so I believe he was very intentional about everything that he said and everything that he did. And so in Mark, the 11th chapter, Jesus has just come riding into Jerusalem on on a day we celebrate as Palm Sunday. So I'm not going to talk about that because we said Palm Sunday to come still. We got to talk about it then. But he rides into Jerusalem and the crowd has been uh, anointing him as king. They've been saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he comes to the temple. Mark is the only one who gives us this detail. Is that he walked in and looked around carefully at everything and then left. Went back to Bethany. The next morning, he comes back to the temple. (laughs) Mimi, the roadrunner in here. I think they're a coyote just, I'm going to paint a door right there and the coyote will think there's a, he'll run into the brick wall. What was I talking about? Oh yeah. Jesus is coming back to the temple after having gone in, looked around, went back to Bethany, spent the night, then he comes back to the temple the next day. And when he comes back to the temple to the next day, he comes in in a fury comes in like a wrecking ball. (laughs) I'm going to get punished in heaven for saying it like that. (laughs) But he does. He comes in in fury, and he starts flipping tables. And he starts getting in people's face and yelling at people. I mean, we've never seen Jesus like this before. And he says, my house will be called a house. Of, here's a Matthew records it. My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. So I've got a picture of the temple. I'm going to 
throw it up here. This would be the second temple. It's often referred to as Herod's temple. <clears throat> the first, uh, King Solomon's temple was completed in about 1000 BC. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar um, roughly 500 years later. If you want to read about Nebuchadnezzar, you can read um, the book of Daniel. There's a lot of detail in there about the exile to uh, Babylon. Um, then at the urging of Haggai and Zechariah, uh, Zerubbabel begins constructing the second temple around 521 BC. And that's what this is. And this stood until 70 AD, until 70 years after Christ, basically, or 47 years after Christ died, uh, somewhere in there. Now, Herod did some uh, renovations to the temple, but this is, what, this is a rendering of what Jesus would have seen. When Jesus walks into the temple to look around, this is kind of what he would have seen. Now, the temple, of course, <clears throat> was divided into many different courts. And under here, those are like hallways. And it is believed in there, in the shaded areas, is where the tables would have been set up. So you have your courts. You have your, uh, there's the court of Gentiles. There's the court of women. And there's the court of the Israelites, where only uh, purified males could go. So it was, it was divided uh, up. Everyone was not allowed to roam freely around. Uh, they were not uh, giving tours of the temple. And only the priests could go inside. Because what you have then is you had inside the temple, you had the Holy of Holies, you had the mercy seat, you had all these different things. And this is where people came to sacrifice and to meet with God. If you wanted to go meet with God, this, is, this was where you went. And at this particular time of year of Passover, uh, Jewish pilgrims would come from all over the world, the known world, to worship God. And, and it, was, it was Passover time. It was just about Passover time. And so this is the scene. When Jesus walked in, it would have been filled with people, tables, uh, people selling pigeons, people selling sacrifices, um, all kinds of, of people in there. And, and Jesus walks in and he looks around and then he leaves. And, and when I was reading that, this story this, this past week, that struck me that Jesus is carefully looking around God's house. That Jesus looks around carefully at those claiming to be the house of God. Jesus is looking closely at you and me. He's looking closely at the river church. This is both comforting and terrifying. <laughs> it's both comforting and terrifying that God will look at us closely at how we restrict access to him or not. See, God had plenty of gatekeepers back then. You couldn't come to God unless this. You had to have the right sacrifice. You had to have the right money. I mean, we're going to get into in a minute why Jesus was so upset. But I want to stop here for a minute and just remind us that God is looking at us. That Jesus is searching our hearts. That's why the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me. That should be our prayer. 
Because if we don't search it out and dig it out, then Jesus is coming in flipping tables. (laughs) So, depending on how you interpret scriptures, Jesus did this once or twice. John, the uh, the apostle Paul... uh, I just said John, and I was going to say John again, and I called him the Apostle Paul. The Apostle John, in his letter, in his gospel, puts this event at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. All the other three gospels, or the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, put this at the end of Jesus' ministry, at the beginning of his Passion Week. So, I think there's many different reasons for this. I think John um, wanted to specifically tell the gospel story in a certain way. But I also also think that I can't talk. I also think it's possible that Jesus did this at the beginning of his ministry and at the end of his ministry, and that he's going to keep doing it until he comes, and that he will come into this church and flip tables over if we start defrauding people if we start trying to rob people of their money, if we start trying to restrict who can and who can't come. Because it's, we are not, we don't set the guest list. He does. We say, Jesus is calling you. Jesus calls. And we show people to Jesus. <laughs> That's our job. That's what the priests would do. They would show people. We take people to Jesus. I've heard it said this way. We catch the fish. We're called to be fishers of men. We catch them. Jesus cleans them. We preach Jesus. Here's how we do it at this church. We don't get up and preach specifically against uh, any sin not lined out in your Bible. We don't. Some people think certain kind of music is a sin. Some people think... Uh, boy, I'm going to get myself in trouble this morning. <laughs> Some people think having a beer is a sin. Some people think we preach Jesus, him crucified. We preach and teach that we follow Jesus with all of our heart, that we lay everything down, and we leave it up to Jesus and the Holy Spirit to do their job. Because that's not my job as a pastor, to follow you home, to check your radio, to check your television. My job is to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified and let the Holy Spirit of God do its work. Amen. Now, we all can get on board with this until we start talking about really sinful people. We're all on board until we cross the line. Man, I'm getting ahead of my notes. And a lot of you are going to be mad at me by the time this is over. But Okay, so Jesus was, Jesus was upset. He flipped over the table of the money changers. Here's what uh, the word money changer means, money banker or money broker. They would make large profits at the expense of pilgrims. People would come from all over the world. Remember, I told you that. But every Israelite, rich or poor, who had reached the age of 20 was obligated to pay a half a shekel as an offering to Jehovah into the sacred treasury. This tribute was in every case to be paid in the exact Hebrew shekel. That'd be like if, if a church said, 
hopefully a church has never done this. Uh, every, everybody over the age of 20, you got to give a 50 cent piece. It's got to be from 1950 or whatever. And you'd come in and be like, I don't have a 50 cent piece, but here's a dollar bill. Oh, we'll, we will. <laughs> Luck is on your side because we will take this dollar bill and turn it into a 50 cent piece. But it's going to cost you $100. We will, we will turn this into a 50 cent piece so that you can give an offering to God, but it's going to cost you. Now, that sounds like a stupid thing, but that's what was happening. They were making huge profits off of the pilgrims. They were making it difficult to get to God. They were making God exclusive. I like exclusive things. There's a, there's a pair of heirloom Jordans that came out. A couple years ago, they only made like 1,200 of them. They're like $6,000. <laughs> I didn't buy them, by the way. I don't want you to think I'm, I'm that sinful. But they are exclusive. Exclusive. Hard to get hold of. Only the one percenters can get those. Well, that's how people were turning it in to get to God. Let me tell you, God's available at every Kmart, Walmart, Target, God is everywhere, and God is not exclusive to only the rich, to only the wealthy, to only the good, to only the sinless. God is available to you and to me, the maker of the universe, the God who measured the oceans with his bare hands, loves you and is after you. And there's no strings attached. No conditions. All right, I was... See, I was just trying to read this. The tribute was in every case to be paid the exact Hebrew half shekel. At Passover, everyone in the world who was an adult male and wished to worship at the temple would bring his offering or purchase a sacrificial animal at the temple. Since there was no acceptance of foreign money with any foreign image, the money changers would sell temple coinage at a very high rate of exchange and assess a fixed charge for their services. The judges who sat to inspect the offerings that were brought by the pilgrims were quick to detect any blemish in them. This was expensive for the, for the uh, traveling pilgrims. It was expensive for the ones who had money, not to say it was ruinous for those who were poor and who only were bringing turtle doves and pigeons. There was no defense for them or court of appeal, seeing that the priestly authorities took a large percentage on every transaction. And Jesus walked in and he saw that and it infuriated him. To the point of the very first time in, and only time in all of the Gospels, we see Jesus in a rage. What made Jesus so mad is that people were making it hard to get to his father. That's what made Jesus mad. He said, this house should be called a house of prayer for all nations. And Jesus was furious. <clears throat> Uh, Jesus looked carefully at what was happening in his name. He went home or went back to Bethany. Most likely he was probably staying with Mary and Martha. And then he walks back the next day. And, and it's fascinating to me is that we talk so much in church circles about, you know, 
God looks at the heart. And yes, God does look at the heart. That is scripture. Man looks at the outward appearance. That's in Samuel. But God looks at the heart, and he does. But when Jesus, in the book of Revelation, is talking to the seven churches, he does not say, I know your heart. To every church, there's one phrase that he repeats to every single church. Go look at it when you get home. First three chapters of the book of Revelation. I know your works. I know your deeds. I know what you've been up to. God is looking carefully this morning. This is, this is, this is good. It's good for us to know that God is looking carefully at us. How we conduct ourselves, how we conduct uh, business, how we handle uh, people's finances, the people trust us with their money. Thank God I, I, I have faith, all the faith in the world. And Jane, I know that she does uh, what's right. But God is looking at that stuff. How, how we... I believe that God is judging churches right now. I believe it's happening. 1 Peter 4, 17, I think it says, uh, judgment begins where? At the house of God. And if we will barely be saved, this is in 1 Peter, if we will barely be saved, if we will scarcely make it. See, just because we go to church or we have a church or we preach in church does not mean we walk around feeling all high and mighty. And puffed up. No. God's watching us. Are we giving access to people to him? Are we making it easy to come to him? God, uh, he knows our deeds. He knows our works. Judgment begins at the house of God. Why are so many churches uh, being exposed right now for harming children, for marginalizing and and hurting women? I mean, every single time you turn around, there's uh, a new church is being exposed for uh, some pastor doing something wrong. A pastor, one of the pastors that uh, Pastor Walker and I ha- hold in really high uh, regard just recently um, has fallen. I mean, it's quieter in here now than it was before. <laughs> Judgment comes to the house of God. God is watching. Jesus is watching us. And, and so how... Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't have anything to do with this church. I just show up every once in a while. Why are you? (laughs) How we treat people who are trying to access God. How we try to restrict God from people. I told you you were going to, if you're not mad at me yet, you're about to get mad at me. What would this church do if... I was sitting here trying to think, what could I say to just shock people? <laughs> so I don't know, this may not shock you. Maybe you're above it. But, oh man, I hate to even go down any of these roads. Think about the worst sinner in your mind. And if they walk through the door, what, how would we react to them? I mean, I don't know who the worst sinner in your mind is. For some of you, it's RuPaul. Um, for some of you, it's... I'm trying to think of a serial killer that's still alive. Uh, Ted Bundy. We'll throw Ted Bundy out there. How would we react? Well, number one, you know, we're going to keep an eye on all the... If Ted Bundy walks in, I think we're going to be smart. Don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating for you to let him watch your children or... 
But we are not the gatekeepers. And if RuPaul wants to come to church at the River Church, then we're going to love RuPaul. (laughs) Many of you don't even know who that is. Look it up. No matter who walks through that door, we are going to welcome them and love them and say, this way to Jesus. And what Jesus does with that person is up to Jesus and them. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. And we don't sit in judgment. We just bring people to Jesus. You know, I'm going to skip ahead my notes. They're not that good anyway. At the end, after Jesus cleanses the temple, Jesus is, Jesus is mad. He's in a rage. The book of John tells us that he makes a whip. <laughs> and, you know, Indiana Jones style. Dun, 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 dun. So he makes this whip and he starts driving out the money changers, flipping over the tables. There's pigeons flying everywhere, feathers everywhere, coins dropping everywhere, goats bleeding, you know, everywhere. It's chaos. You know, and, and I think we need to read scripture that way because sometimes when we read the story, we're like, oh, and he flipped over. The, and we just, we don't imagine how, how traumatic this was, how, how big of a deal this was, how out of character of Christ this was, and how this stuff does not happen in the temple courts. But Jesus would rather ruffle feathers than stick with the status quo if the status quo keeps people from God. And so at the end... Uh, Matthew's gospel, I think it's Matthew's gospel, tells us uh, yeah, is there there something before that? This is there we go. This is Matthew's version. On reaching Jerusalem, I don't know, I'll just read it right here rather than trying to Show my age. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him. For they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. He wouldn't allow any merchandise in, in the temple, in the courts. I guess it's, it's Mark's version of this story where he says, After he does this, the lame and the blind come to him in the temple and he heals them. Now, I don't know how well you know Levitical law. And I've talked about this before. I don't know how well you know the book of Leviticus and, and all of the regulations laid out for the temple and the tabernacle. But the lame and the blind were not allowed to come in. The lame and the blind were not allowed in the temple. You couldn't have a flat nose and come to the temple. You couldn't have lots of different things and come to the temple. We're not going to go through all of them. If you want to know what they are, go read the book of Leviticus. 
But I believe that Jesus was intentionally making a point. He was clearing a way for everyone to come to God. For the lame and the blind. And guess what? You know who the lame or the blind are in this story? You know, they say, uh, some people say when you read a Bible story, try to find yourself in there. You know where you are? You know where I am? We're the lame and the blind. We're those who are lost without Jesus. We are lost without him. And he opens up a way. He clears out all of the obstacles and he opens it up for you and I to come to him. And he welcomes us and he heals us of our diseases. And where we were not, where we were once not allowed, he opens up a way. That's why when Christ breathed his last, the, the veil was rent in two. And the presence of God now does not just abide in the center of the, the temple. It is now freely out among all of us through the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We don't have to go to Jerusalem to experience the presence of God. We, where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ, he is already in the midst. Because of what Jesus did, he cleared the way, he opened up the obstacles and opened it up for you and for me and for the lame and for the blind and for us and for them. And we cannot, we will not exclude anybody or tell anybody they can't come because it is not our job. We don't set the guest list. We just invite people to the dinner. We just invite people to the table of the Lord. That's our job. And what he does with them when they come is between them and he. Amen? Amen. Yes, there are things that God will do. And as you become a follower of Jesus, your life will change. I'm not saying that it won't. Your life will change. You will gradually become more and more like Jesus if you truly are a follower of him. I believe that. But my progress in my Christian journey is not up to you. Your progress, I don't even like saying this, is not up to me. <laughs> I don't get to control your uh, progress on your path with Jesus. All right. God's good. Jesus is watching carefully how we treat this gospel that he's entrusted to us. He's entrusted to us the gospel. We were praying before church, and uh, as Paul was praying, he's like, God, help us not to keep this gospel to ourselves, but to take it out and spread it. And that's what we're called to do. We can't hold it to ourselves. Or to our set of friends. You ever played keep away? Where I was usually the chubby fat kid in the middle. <laughs> Until I hit my growth spurt. <laughs> I came kind of late. but <laughs> Where they're throwing the ball and you're, they're keeping it away from you. That's how we treat the gospel sometimes. Oh, I'm sorry. It's not for you. <laughs> it's not for you. <laughs> over here, over here. It's not yours to do that with. You have been entrusted with the gospel. You deliver it to everybody. You've been entrusted with the gospel. What they do with it is up to them and, and God and Jesus. And again, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that, that everything is fine. And yeah, That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's not a, you're not the judge or jury. You're not God's lawyer. You don't set the parameters of who gets to come and who doesn't. He does that. But he invites all. He's calling all. And if they will respond to the call, then he 
will do the rest. I believe that Jesus was intentional in his last week. I believe that he was intentional when he cleansed the temple. I believe that he was intentional. I believe that, that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John wrote these words down intentionally for a reason. They wanted us to see that Jesus brought to him those who were previously not allowed to come. That's intentional. We're supposed to see that. Jesus invites everybody. Everybody. No matter what your past is, no matter what you've done, where you've been, Jesus is calling you. No matter how many dark roads you've gone down. I love uh, uh, my cousin Jonathan um, shared something the other day on Twitter. And it's something I'm going to butcher, but it's something along the lines of this. No, all roads don't leave, lead to Jesus. All roads don't lead to Jesus. But there is no road that Jesus won't come down to get you. There is no road that he won't come down to get you. So no matter what road you find yourself on today, Jesus is saying, like he said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open up to me, I will come in and I will have a meal with him. I like how the NLT puts it. I'm going to read it for you. Look. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. He's knocking at your door this morning. He's knocking at everyone's heart. Hear his voice. So this message is for uh, two different kinds of, that's for everybody, but I had a couple things in mind this morning. Some of us have been gatekeepers our whole lives. We We've been playing keep away from different types of people, different groups of people with the gospel. It's not for you. Sorry, it's not for you. Jesus is looking carefully at us. We aren't gatekeepers. We don't set the guest list. We just invite. The other kind of person is though the, the kind of person who felt, feels like they've been excluded. The kind of person who feels like they're not good enough. They're not... Uh, They don't meet all the qualifications. They haven't lived a good enough life. They haven't made all the right choices. And to you, I say this morning that behold, he is standing at the door and knocking. And all you have to do is open up to him. All you have to do is open up the door of your heart. All you have to do is open up. And he will come in and you will become friends. And he will be your God. And you will be part of this kingdom of God. And yes, he will challenge you. Yes, he will lead you to lay some things down. He will lead you down some hard paths and ask you to make some sacrifices. But as we've said many times, it is the the best life that you can live is a life lived in Christ. So I I often say this, that every message should afflict, comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And if you're comfortable in here this morning and you've been playing keep away with the gospel, then you've been being God's lawyer. Uh, Jesus is watching. He's taking note. But guess what? There's forgiveness in him. There's redemption in him. 
I live most of my life as a gatekeeper, as a, as a keep awayer. And I believe that God has transformed my heart. I believe that he still is. He's still working on me. I'm not perfect by any means. I still have a long way to go. But if you feel unloved, if you feel unworthy, Jesus is knocking at your door. And God doesn't go to the door of nobodies. So you must be a somebody. You must be a somebody. You are worth the time of the timeless. You are worth the time of God. He's standing at your door knocking. I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back up really quickly. Soon we're going to go into a time of communion. But I want to spend just a time in prayer.